Tonight is a um, good night for me because we are starting a four-month series on a book that I forgot was in the Bible. So when we were having our planning meeting, uh, Cam was like, oh yeah, we're going to do a series on James. And I was like, wait, there's a book called James in the Bible? And then everyone kind of looked at me like, how are you a leader? Um, So if you have never read the book of James, you're in good company. I have since read it and it's actually an amazing um, letter and it was quite impactful on my life. So I'm really excited to get into it tonight. So I'm going to hand over to Andy and he's going to um, open up for us talking about the topic of faith and works. So thanks, Andy. Thank you. I'm going to hand over to someone else. Before you hear from me, you're going to hear from the book of James. Can we steal that? It's James chapter 2, verse 14 to 26. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Let me ask you some questions. I don't know what you think of vegans. Okay, now I do. For my part, I think vegans are very dedicated people. They are more disciplined than I am about their food convictions. Uh, But tell me what you think of this vegan. You can't see what he's eating, can you? Yeah. That's a big steak. I don't know what you think of greenies. When I say greenies, I mean like full-on environmentalists. Uh, For my part, I think they're more often right about the impact of our actions, uh, but they're probably wrong about ranking people below trees. But what do you think about this environmentalist? I don't know how many forests you'd save with that truck. I don't know what you think about fitness instructors. You know I'm not one. But tell me what you think of this fitness instructor. I'm not sure if I would take his advice. I don't know what you think about priests. 
I'm going to go out on a limb here. Tell me right now what you think of this priest. We all have thoughts about this guy right now. Thanks, Signa. Why do we think so poorly of all these people? The environmentalist, who's got the massive, you know, two miles to the gallon truck. The, uh, the vegan, who's eating the dead animal. The fitness instructor, who's lying down, sucking on some kind of fried goodness. The priest, who apparently has now been convicted of doing things that he would preach against from the pulpit. Why? Why do we think so poorly? Why, do we, why does it grate us when we see these inconsistencies? It is because of that very thing. That is inconsistency. We hear and we see a massive inconsistency between what this person says that they believe and what they act out. And when we see them, when we hear them saying, this is true, this is right, this is what I believe, this is what you should do, and then when we see them doing something different, it gets under your skin. You're like, well, hang on. You don't really believe that, obviously, do you? We see people, when we see people who stand for something and then we see them acting in a way that is completely inconsistent, we start to question whether they really believe the thing that they said that they believe. Right? When we, when we see the, when we hear the greenie saying how we should all be driving hybrid cars and with solar-powered homes and whatever, and then he gets into a truck like that, straight away, everything that he said kind of gets a big question mark over it, and you say, well, I'm not sure if this guy has any credibility at all. They're hypocrites. Maybe they, you would call them fake. We would say they're not authentic. Is it possible that this might be an issue for Christians as well? Is it possible? Yes, good. I'll keep going then. You bet it's possible. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Now, this is the first in a series of talks that we're going to do out of the book of James. So I'm going to quickly give you a a one-minute overview of the book of James. The book of James is written by James, the brother of Jesus. That's sort of consensus about who wrote it. Now, James, the brother of Jesus, not a keen believer in Jesus uh, at the start of Jesus' ministry. In fact, for those of you who might know a little bit about the Gospels, the story of Jesus' life, there was a point in time where Jesus and his family were like, we might need to quietly go and put him away in some kind of institution because he thinks he's God and that's a problem. Uh, Not even his own brothers believed him. They had the best close-up view of Jesus and they were like, he's got issues. Yep. We're worried for his health. Uh, who was it written to? Clearly, the, when James writes this letter, he's writing it uh, to a broad audience, and, but it's a Christian audience, right? Nowhere in James does he, does he talk about how to come to faith, what it means to come to faith. He writes with this presumption that my readers are Christian people. They've chosen to follow Jesus, and now I'm going to talk to them about what it means, what it looks like when the rubber hits the road, what it looks like in action. And it is a really practical book. It's really all about what it looks like to live out your faith. There is this presumption in the whole book that their faith is there already. Why was it written? It's written as an instruction 
James draws heavily on Jesus' teaching. In fact, someone tells me, uh, there are 16 parallels between James's letter and the Sermon on the Mount. So James has obviously picked up a whole lot of Jesus' teaching. He obviously turned at some point from thinking that Jesus is cuckoo to thinking Jesus is actually Messiah. And he listens to Jesus and he gives a whole lot of instructions. He doesn't write and say, um, it'd be a good idea if. He says, you should, you should, you must, you can't. He gives a whole lot, 54 times in the book of James, we get these instructions, just flat out, do this. But the book of James has had its critics. And when you reflect on this passage, you can kind of understand why. Understand why. In fact, Martin Luther, great church reformer, 1500s, he had this real issue with the book of James. He really struggled. He called it a right strawy epistle. And it was because of this very chapter that he had a problem. And you can't blame him either. Because on first reading, you read this passage and it seems to clash with everything else you've ever heard from the front of an evangelical church. Uh, It seems like James is saying, you know what, you've heard that faith alone, you're saved by grace, just faith in Jesus, that's where you get, uh, but it's not. It's not faith alone, it's works. And some of you might be sitting there thinking, hang on, this passage is doing my head in. I thought we had a thing up on the wall that said faith alone, Christ alone, scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. And now you're saying, you know, it wasn't by faith alone, it was by his works that he was justified. Whoa! It does clash. Uh, On first reading, you do get this kind of inconsistency. Uh, Romans 3 and 4, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this, by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works, so that no one can boast. And then we get James saying, you're justified by your works. Does it feel uncomfortable to you? Good, someone nodded. Okay, I'll talk to you, Emily. Uh, it does feel uncomfortable. We've got to hunt this down. Um, it's not enough for us to gloss over it and say, well, you know... All scripture is God-breathed and somehow it'll sort itself out in eternity. No, this is for us to sort out now. So we are going to, go, we are going to drill, drill down into it. Uh, and we're going to find out what is going on here. How do we get faith alone? And then James saying, you're justified by works. How do we get these two things happening in the same Bible, written under authority of the same God? How does that happen? Well... I'm going to tell you, the answer lies in two things. James is first of all talking about people who claim to have faith in God, but there is zero evidence of it. Okay, So James, when he says faith alone, he's talking about people who have said, yes, I believe, but there is zero evidence. There is no change in their life. And we're going to talk about that in in a second. James is also teaching us a lesson about cause and effect. And I'm also going to talk to you about that. What is the cause? What is the effect? What is the the thing? And what is the outworking of the thing? What is the tree? What is the fruit? What is the source? What is the tap where the source comes out? Ooh, 
Wow. Okay. And when we talk about no evidence, I want to make a real clear distinction here, and I want you to participate with me for a second. We're not talking about being imperfect, right? We're not talking about, about being fallible people. When, when people say, oh, you did something wrong, therefore you, not must, you must not believe what Jesus said because you broke the rule about something that Jesus says, right? We're not talking about being perfection. We're talking about being completely false, right? And there's a difference between being fallible and being false. Now, let me, let me just do a little test so I can hope you, help you see, understand this. Who thinks that you should not use swear words? Who, th- who thinks it's not a good idea to curse, right? Put your hand up. It's not a good idea to curse. Okay, fine. We're in the majority. Who has ever used a swear word in their life? Okay, good. I'm glad you're all honest. Um, does that make you false? Are you a false Christian? You, you just said you shouldn't, but you have. Right? That doesn't make us false. It makes us fallible. It means we're not perfect. Right? The difference between having uh, struggles and making mistakes or having zero evidence of what you believe. Okay? There's a big difference between the two. You and I are fallible. Hopefully, we're not false. Let me give you another illustration. We have a rule at my work, and it revolves around some kinds of the work we do. And the rule is you never do it alone. Right? It's risky. It's dangerous. You always have a second pair of eyes over some of the work that we do. Never, ever do it alone. Good rule? Yeah, it's a good rule. Uh, do the bosses believe in that rule? Yeah, they made that rule. Uh, what about the boss who never keeps that rule? He always does this part of work by himself. Does he believe in that rule? No, he does not. He thinks it's a good rule for everyone else except for him. He doesn't believe in the rule. In fact, he does, he, not, not only sometimes would he break that rule, he always breaks that rule. There is zero evidence that he thinks that is a good idea for him. And so he doesn't believe that that should be a universal rule. Now this passage, can, 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 I, can you see the difference? Fallible, false. Different things. This passage in chapter 2 sort of falls into three sections. And it's sections to help us understand what faith is and what faith is not. And when James is talking about faith, right, he's talking about uh, belief. Right? He's talking about belief that does something inside of us. Right? Belief comes from inside. Actions is what you see coming out. And we see three things that he's telling us about faith in this section. Firstly, firstly, faith is different to good intentions, right? Different to good intentions. Second, faith is different to knowing the facts. Faith is different to knowing the facts. And thirdly, real faith, real belief, turns into action. You see it coming out, right? If it's real belief, you see it coming out. So let's firstly look at... Uh, Faith is different to good intentions. Imagine a social worker. Signe, you can throw the next image up on the screen. Imagine a social worker. Sees this hungry guy on the street, reads his little sign saying, I'm homeless, I need food, I need a home, I need a place to stay tonight. And he goes up to him and he says this, Hey, how are you going? Well, it's obvious how I'm going. Not going well. 
yeah, I see that. Listen, I, I really hope the things turn out for you. Puts his arm around the guy, gives him a squeeze, pats him on the back, maybe ruffles his hair. And the guy looks up and says, well, could you give me any money for some food? Nah. But I'm going to love on you. Because you need to know that we care. In fact, I might even pray for you. You're going to get in the idea, aren't you? It's not that useful. James gives this illustration. He says, when you see someone in need and you say that you care, but you never do anything, right? There's a statement, I believe something. I believe that I care. I believe, you know, this matters. And then we do zip. I'm going to question that belief. I'm going to question whether you really believe, whether you really care, whether really, really, really this matters to you at all. It's not real care. It's not real love. And then James hits us with this. In the same way, faith, stated belief, I believe in Jesus. I believe he's the son of God. I believe he died for my sin. Saying that stuff without any change in our life is dead. Faith, when it's not accompanied by action, is not real faith. He's not saying you have to do action to bring your faith to life. He's saying, start here. The faith, when it's not coming out in action, then something's wrong back here. The problem is not your deeds. The problem is your faith. You're not actually believing what you say you believe. One author puts it this, this way, which I, I found actually really helpful. We are saved by faith alone, but saving faith is never alone. I'll say that again. We are saved by faith alone, but saving faith is never alone. It can't, you can't hold it in. It starts coming out. It starts leaking out into things that we do and say. If God has changed our heart, our heart is where our actions and our desires and our decisions come from. If that's been changed, you can't help it. It starts to leak out. You talk differently. You think differently about things. You're deciding different things. You want different things. All of a sudden, it's, it's coming out. So I have a question for you, just quickly. Let me ask you two questions. One, is my spiritual journey full of good intentions? And nothing else. Is my spiritual journey full of good intentions or nothing else? If someone looked at my actions, the way I behave, what would they write for me if they were to write my statement of beliefs? Ask yourself that question. If someone was looking at my actions, watching what I say and what I do, what would they write down as a statement of my beliefs? Never mind asking me what I believe. Let, me just, let them just observe me. What would they write down? Faith is different to good intentions. Faith is also different to knowing the facts. So we're up to number two now. Faith is different. Number one, faith is different to good intentions. Number two, faith is different to knowing the facts. So James goes in this passage and he says, well, you have faith and I have deeds. And some people are going to say, well, as long as you've got something, you'll get to heaven, right? They're both legitimate ways to get saved. No, says James. The only 
you only know the faith is real when it starts to show in what you do. It doesn't work in reverse. It's a little bit like fruit in a tree. You can throw up another picture here, Signa. This is a fruit tree. No, duh. How do you know it's a fruit tree? Someone? Yeah, thank you. It's got fruit on it. I think it's an orange tree. Could be my dad's orange tree. He's got an amazing orange tree. I know it's an orange tree because I pick oranges from it, right? I'm a fool if I think any differently about that tree, right? This next tree, however, is not a fruit tree. I don't know exactly what sort of fruit. I think it's a mini pine conifer or something. It's not a fruit tree. I know that because it's never had fruit. It never will have fruit. It is just a bush. Now, if I take that tree and I staple fruit onto it, maybe I tie it with cable ties, uh, maybe I find a really tricky way to glue them and graft them and make the, tree, make, make the fruit look like it grew there, does that tree become a fruit tree? No, no, it doesn't. You can never make that tree a fruit tree by sticky taping fruit to it, right? Now, you, you all say, of course. Why is it then that we think somehow I can change my heart by grabbing some good behavior and try tipping it in, right? That is why Jesus came. Jesus said, you can't start here. You can't start by good behavior. You can't try to pick up good deeds, tip it into your heart, and hopefully that'll make you acceptable to God. That was the whole point. That was why Jesus came. He said, you're never going to be good enough to do that. So if you're worried, if you're not seeing evidence over here, the problem is not your behavior. The problem is the place your behavior comes from. That is your heart. And James is not making a comment here about how to get saved. He's not saying, behave well, and it'll change your heart. And then God will say, well done, here's your ticket. James is saying, here's how to know whether your faith is real, whether you really believe what you say you believe. See if it's leaking out. And if it's not leaking out, if you see zero evidence, not if you sometimes make a mistake, but if you see nothing over here, nothing of what Jesus says, then something's wrong back here at the source. I like this analogy of a tap, right? You have a tank and you have a pipe and you have a tap. When I turn the tap on, right, and getting muddy water, what should I do? New tap. No, not new tap. Go back to the source. New water. Maybe new tank. Right? Here is the problem. The tap is not the problem. Let me ask you a question. Does the facts that you know about Jesus, do those facts that you know about Jesus cause you to make different choices than those who don't know about Jesus? Are there places in your life where you say, yeah, you know what? Before I knew Jesus, I would, I would think differently about this. I would do differently about this. Now that I'm on Jesus, now that I understand what Jesus says and what Jesus has done for me, I'm acting differently about this now. 
Or is it the same? Have you come to Sunday school and come to youth group and come to young adults, accumulated a whole lot of facts, and there's zero connection into your actions, into your decisions, into your desires? Last section, number three. So first of all, first section, faith is different to good intentions. Faith is different to that. Secondly, faith is different to knowing the facts. Faith is different than just knowing the facts. Thirdly, real faith, real belief turns into actions. There's this great story that I know uh, of... An amazing tightrope walker. I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, he used to go across the Niagara Falls. Uh, and this is back... Steve knows his name. Blondin. Thank you. Okay, now this guy was amazing. I'm probably not going to do him justice with the way I tell this story, right? He was incredible. He would go across probably on a daily basis. People would come and watch him go across. He would juggle on a tightrope. He once stopped and cooked an egg... On a tightrope, across Niagara Falls, right? This, this guy was not just good, he was so good he was almost arrogant. He could do pretty much anything, right? One particular day, he gets a wheelbarrow. And instead of holding the balancing pole, he's holding a wheelbarrow. And he wheelbarrows a sack of potatoes across the falls to the other side. Now, everyone's like, wow, there's nothing this guy can't do. And he says to the crowd... Who believes I could put a person in a wheelbarrow and take them back? Now, everyone's been watching this guy. He, basically, he's never fallen, obviously. And, and, he, and he's done the most unbelievable things. And so, of course, everyone goes, yeah, we want to see that. It's great. Who will be the person to hop in the wheelbarrow? Nobody. Nobody put up their hand to hop in the wheelbarrow. They all would say they believe it. But there was enough doubt in their minds to hold them back from acting out that belief. They all wanted to see it. None of them wanted to be it. This passage gives us similar examples uh, it gives two examples, one about Abraham and one about Rahab. Now, Abraham, he got tested. His faith got tested. And when the Bible says your faith gets tested, right, it's not like God interrogates you and says, let's just talk about your doctrine for a minute and uh, see what it is that you believe, right? He doesn't send you like a you know, seven-point check on your Christology. God, when he tests your faith, he's, he's actually seeing what whether what you say you believe is going to come out in your actions. And he does this to Abraham in an amazing way. You can read it in the book of Genesis. I think it's Genesis 28. And, and uh, he says to Abraham, right? Abraham's got one son. And he says to Abraham, I want you to take your son. I know I've promised you a, a big family. In fact, you're going to be the father of a whole nation. But I want you to take that son. I want you to go and sacrifice him. E.g., Please kill your son on an altar at the top of a mountain. What is Abraham going to do? If he believes that God will keep his promise, it doesn't matter whether his son lives or dies. God will still keep his promise. 
if he doesn't believe God can keep his promise without this son being alive, then he's going to hold back. And right now, this is not a question of do I believe God is God? Yes. If Abraham had been given a questionnaire about his theology, he would have passed. But now he's over here. He's how much of that stuff is going to come into your actions, Abraham? This is faith. This is your beliefs tipping into your actions. Will you act it out? Will you act out what you believe? Abraham takes his son to the top of a mountain. He's poised, knife ready. God's waited to the very last second. Stop. I'm sure Abraham had a big, big uh, moment of relief. And God says, thank you. That's enough. I don't need to see any more. I can see that you are acting out your faith. You're acting out what you say you believe. This is real faith. Thank you, Abraham. I wanted to know that I was top of the list and that you weren't putting me ahead of your son or your dreams for your family or anything. Rahab the same. Rahab, her faith is commented here in this passage, not because she knew about God, not because she knew about anything. In fact, all she had heard about the Israelites and their God was that their God was very powerful and had rescued them out of Egypt. And she's like, she says to these spies, hey, you know what? I've heard about your God and your people and the amazing things that your God has done. I think he's fair income. I think he's the real God. And then she gets put to the test. Well, will you hide us? Will you hide us, enemies of your country? Will you hide us in your home? And when the soldiers come to your door, will you lie for us to save our lives? Never mind how powerful she thinks God is. Now she's being asked to act it. Will she act out the belief she has about this God, this God that she has not chosen to follow yet, this God that she knows very little about, she's only heard the stories, and she's put on the spot. Will you act out? Will you act as if what you say is true, is actually true? Will you put it into action? She does. She hides them in the roof. She tells lies to the soldiers, sends them another way, and then lets them out the window. And James is saying here, that's real faith. No one cared about her doctrine. They cared about her acting out what she knew to be true. Just deeds, just actions, it's called pretending. It's like stapling the fruit onto a little pine bush. If all we have is actions, we're pretending. And we can all do that. Every one of us is okay to do that. We all know how to act. We all know how to pretend. Just saying is not real. That's also pretending. It's false. If I say, if someone asks me, look, yes, if, if someone asks me, I'll say I'm a Christian. That's like someone asks me, if, if I'm into footy, I say, yeah, I'm a Hawks supporter. Do you know, I can, I can name like one player of the Hawks, right? I'm not really a Hawks supporter. I prefer if they win, if I hear about it. <laughs> I'm not a fair income Hawks supporter. And yet when we asked, are you a Christian? Yeah. But how much of that is leaking across into my actions 
That's the question because that's not, that's not because I'm being judged over here. That's because that's how I test what's happening here in my heart. This is where my beliefs come from. This is where my decisions, my desires, my, my words, everything comes out of my heart. And if my heart is changed, I can't help but leak into other things. So there's two groups of us here tonight. There are those of us who have already made a decision to follow Jesus, and there are those of us who have not. And I'm going to talk to you two groups separately. First of all, if you have decided to follow Jesus, what is God saying to you right now? What is God saying to you out of James? What are the things for you that you might say you believe in your words? but we don't necessarily act out as if they are true. You might say, yes, with Jesus I have the ability to say no to sin and temptation, but I don't act as if that is true. When temptation comes away, I throw up my hands and I say, well, what choice did I have? What hope did I have? We might say that we can be free of guilt and shame, but we hold on to the things that cause us guilt and shame. Never wanting to confess them, never wanting anyone else to know about them, never bringing them to Jesus. We might say obedience is worth it, always. God is never wrong. But we may not do that. We might say God will always provide for me I always have my backup plan. I've got plan B in case God's plan A doesn't work out. I might say God is 100% trustworthy, but if you're anything like I am, I find it really hard to put everything into God's hands and leave it there. If you're anything like me, I do this. Dear God, please look after these things. Thanks very much. I'll take it back now. I've got a plan. What opportunity do you have, Christian? What opportunity do you have this week to step out and act out the faith that we have? Right? The belief that we have in our heart about what Jesus has done, who he is, what he's in control of. What opportunity do you have this week to act it out. And do you have an opportunity to do this like the, like the man who came to Jesus for his demon-possessed son? And he says, yeah, I believe, but can you help me with my unbelief? I'm imperfect. I'm fallible. I make mistakes. And I believe some, but I need to believe fully. Can you help me? That's where we need to be asking as Christians. I believe that you're Jesus. I believe that you're God. I believe you can do this. I believe you can, you can, help, you can have this. You can fix this. You can take it. And the temptation is on me to take it back again. Can you help me to deal with that and to not do that? If you're someone who has not decided to follow Jesus, if you've never made that decision, say, you know what? I think my life is pointed in the wrong direction. I want to point it in the way of Jesus. I want to walk in the way that Jesus walked. Now, let me tell you what God says to you. He says, if we were to put up your deepest, darkest things on the screens here. 
you'd have a feeling called guilt. We'd all have that. God says that you can't be perfect. And you already know that. But God says that, hey, I sent my son Jesus. I came and I stepped in for you. And Jesus says to you, let you and me do a swap. I'll take your hang-ups and all the punishment that you deserve and I'll take that. And all the good stuff that I have, a perfect relationship with God, a place in heaven, eternal life, let me give that to you. Let's you and me swap. And when we choose to give our life to Jesus, that is actually what happens. Our Our life joins up with him and all the good stuff that he has becomes yours. And all the bad stuff that you have becomes his. Do you know that you can do that tonight? You can do that tonight. You don't need to actually wait to be good enough. Jesus did that bit. You don't need to look at your actions and say, well, my actions are not good enough. No one would accept me as a Christian. Can I say really lovingly, oh, duh, that's why Jesus came. He came because we're not good enough. We would never be good enough. Don't wait to be good enough. You'll wait your whole life. And you'll never get to that point where you're like, yeah, I'm comfortable to come in front of Jesus now. That doesn't ever happen. That's why Jesus came. Jesus did that bit. Don't wait to sort anything out. Just bring yourself as you are. He wants to change your heart. He wants to change you on the inside so that it tips out into the outside. But this is where Jesus is going to work on you. You won't be perfect. You might say the odd swear word still. But when Jesus changes your heart, it starts to come out. And what James is telling us is, this is how I know. When I look at another person, I can't see their heart, but I see what leaks out of their heart. And that's how I know that Jesus is working in them. Please, please, I beg you, don't go away from tonight saying, ooh, I need to work on that behavior, and that behavior, and that behavior, and that behavior. I've got some hang-ups. Clean up my language. Stop hating on my little brother. Whatever it is, right? Jesus is not saying, please modify your behavior. Jesus is saying, please let me come in and change your heart. Don't fix the tap, fix the tank. When Jesus changes our heart, he gives us a new desire to please him. That's where we need God's help. And that's when it starts to show out in our actions. Let me pray for us. Lord God, thank you for the book of James. It's confusing at the start. It's a difficult... uh, dividing line to draw uh, between belief and action. Uh, but Lord, thank you for uh, James's willingness to lay it out there and say, this is how you know if it's fed income. You see it coming out. Real belief, real, real faith can't just be held in. It's more than words. It's more than knowing the facts. It's more than just wishing people well. It actually starts to come out.
Lord, I pray for those of us who may never have decided uh, to follow Jesus, to hand our heart, hand our life over to him. Lord, I pray that you would challenge us tonight not to wait, not to hold back, but just to come and say, God, my life needs a new boss. It's not doing so well with me. Lord, I pray that you would uh, spur us to talk to our youth leader, our small group leader, our pastor, our young adult leader, someone about that tonight. We ask those things in Jesus' name. Amen.